Welcome to the Christine Spray Show, bringing you insights and stories from successful CEOs to help grow your business and increase your revenue. The Christine Spray Show is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Christine Spray. Please join me in welcoming Chris Anderson, the founder and CEO of Ledge Lounger. Chris started Ledge Lounger as a phenomenal success for the last decade, and he'll share his story about how as a young teenager, he was a serial entrepreneur knocking on doors and learning how to build businesses way back then. Then he has experience extended into college, as well as after college and joining his dad's business. I can't wait for you to hear a story about how you quite never arrive at the place you're going when you're growing a business. It's almost equating to false summits on a mountaintop, um, and you won't want to miss this episode. Welcome to the Christine Spray Show. Joining me today is Chris Anderson, the founder and CEO of Ledge Lounger, a well-respected brand and name throughout the globe. Uh, Chris, thank you for joining us today and a guest on our show. Hey, thank you, Christine. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Well, I I know a little bit about your background and your story and your success that you've had, and I want to share this with the rest of the world. So uh, thank you for being here with us. If you don't mind, jump in and kick off with telling us a little bit about your background and your education. Thank you for the question. Um, You know, I think, uh, I don't know if it's too different than most, other than, I guess, the fact that I was uh, just a very, very heavy entrepreneur uh, at a very, very early age. Uh, while a lot of my friends were, you know, playing baseball or football or uh, participating in school sports, I was always out trying to make a dollar. And I think really what what drove me on that was just financial freedom, um, having the ability to make my own money and make my own decisions on when I wanted something, being able to purchase it. Uh, it pretty much drove my entrepreneur spirit. So. Growing up, um, I'd pull a wagon around the neighborhood and wash cars, you know, make a lemonade stand, do all those things, but do them pretty, uh, pretty seriously. Uh, I started a, I was, I had a passion that was, uh, shooting and sporting plays, uh, sports, uh, shotgun shooting. And so I started my own shooting school, uh, when I was in high school and taught, wow. uh, taught kids, kids and women how to shoot. Um, and, um, actually started a, a, a school where I, I taught trappers how to trap, um, sporting events, shooting, shooting events. And I would travel around the country with them and bring them to different shoots. And, uh, and we would trap for, for large tournaments and stuff. So kind of always on, on entrepreneur, um, graduating out of high school, I had a lot of things going for me here in Houston, just with the small businesses I had created, but we'll always kind of like to start anew, um, which, uh, it's hard cause you, you know, you've built something, but then you want to just kind of start fresh. And so, Went over to uh, Louisiana State University, LSU. Uh, just uh, really, really enjoyed my time over there. But it kind of gave me an opportunity to to see what I can make of myself again. Um, and while I was getting my degree in construction management, I was very, very highly involved in the student media. Um, it's kind of the student director of of, uh, of all the uh, advertising sales of the student uh, advertising. So the school newspaper, the school television station, the radio station. I handled the uh, managed all the students selling all that product, and it happened to be at the same time that uh, LSU won a national championship. Go Tigers! And um, <laughs> we had a lot of uh, public recognition from all over the the world, and excuse me, all over the country. And uh, a lot of people wanted to place ads with with our school and uh, in our in our publication. So we grew that department, 
and uh, managed uh, quite a few students there uh, growing that department. We reached some some uh, numbers that they'd never seen in the department while I was there, which was very exciting. Gave me a lot of, a lot of learning, learned how to manage uh, people, learned how to grow sales, learned a lot about marketing, a lot about advertising. And so instead of using my degree, I, I actually uh, used that skill set, took a job with the Dallas Morning News at the very early days of online marketing, online advertising. Uh, people were still trying to figure out how to monetize online channels. So I took what I learned in college and uh, just being um, in that generation that was growing up with online advertising and, and, and helped um, my department over at uh, Dallas Morning News figure out how to monetize the the ad spend, how to monetize the, the eyeballs on web and sold uh, online advertising there. Then I took a jump to be a director of business development um, up in Nebraska for a gentleman that was running for governor. It was a online social media site. It was an automotive social network that we developed while I was up there. So I kind of learned a lot about uh, online building a website and, and how to, again, market it, how to make money off of it, how to monetize it, and where the value was there. Um, and I did all this while I was saying I'd never come back to work for my father's uh, swimming pool business. Um, it's something that I kind of grew up in. Uh, my father had owned a swimming pool company. Uh, he'd been in the industry since I was born and owned a company since I was about 15 years old. And he would bring us to job sites on the weekends and we would dig ditches for him. And he would say, this is why you need to go to college, son. You uh. won't have to do this for the rest of your life. So, um, so I swore I'd never get back into it. But after being out in corporate America, that entrepreneur spirit kind of kicked back in. I realized I had an opportunity one day to, to own my own business uh, and uh, saw it as an opportunity to go back and work with my dad, enjoy some time with him, and also decide if I wanted to kind of spring into the, the, the pool industry or not. So, And that kind of led me to, to develop the first product. Uh, the first ledge lounger was, was through um, getting involved in the, the family business and, and finding a need in the marketplace. And, uh, and you know, all, all is history from there. Well, so tell us, uh, tell us more details about that, because I think that is so exciting about, you know, you're an entrepreneur in the making, of course, like you said, from a young age. And um, it's, 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 it's awesome to hear all the different things you did from the shooting to the lemonade stand to the, you know, wagon and you know, lawns, etc. But so when you came back to work with your dad's business, and you were helping him grow that business, obviously, all that sales and marketing background helped too. But how did that first ledge lounger come to fruition? Where did that idea come from? Sure. So um, a couple of things happened coincidentally at the same time. Uh, number one, uh, I was working on a project that uh, had a very large tanning ledge. And if, for the listeners that don't know, a tanning ledge in a swimming pool is that shallow area of water, typically somewhere between seven and 12 inches deep. We put tanning ledges on all of our pools. And it's just an expansive area in, in our case um, where, you know, somebody could hang out in a very shallow body of water. And uh, when I joined my father's business, it's kind of a little backstory here. When I joined my father's business, all he was doing was building the swimming pool. He'd typically build an average $70,000 pool. And um, because he was the one designing it and selling it, he would, you know, whatever he designed, he would actually have to go out and build. So his designs, while they were custom and they were unique, they were never over the top. Well, once once I became the one that was designing and selling it, and he was out there building it, he kind of... I didn't. I was never concerned about how hard they were going to be to build. Typically, the harder they are to build, the more expensive they are, and the more expensive they are, the more commission you make. So, I was really 
empowered or uh, motivated to design complicated and sell, you know, high-end projects. And so our projects kind of got bigger because all of a sudden we're designing and selling higher-end jobs. But additionally, I was finding out that the pool is really just the entry to the backyard. There's so much more to the backyard than the swimming pool. If you think about it, after you finish a swimming pool, what do you have to do? You have to furnish it. You have to put in landscaping. You have to put in lighting. You have to, you know, put up the play structure for the kids. You have to, there's just a, a number of other things other than the swimming pool. It just so happens in the pool industry or in the backyard design industry, the pool is the first contact for the homeowner. Whereas if you're going to build a home, you're going to call an architect and the architect is going to introduce you to to, after they get finished the design, they're going to maybe mm-hmm. introduce some builders. Whereas in the pool industry, the first person you pick up and call is a pool builder. So what I really learned was the pool was the way in, and the money was actually going to be made more so off of the turnkey items like the landscape and the furniture and all these other items. So we took our average job from you know a seventy thousand dollar pool build to you know more so a two hundred twenty two hundred fifty thousand dollar backyard. We'd even do some million dollar backyards. Um, and so at the moment when I kind of realized, Hey, look, we can start doing the, the furniture in these backyards as well, because everybody's going, going to get furniture for their backyard after they buy a pool might as well be from me. So I made some relationships with some furniture stores local. And we realized that we could send our customers over to these furniture stores. They could pick out their products and, and, uh, and then we could have them delivered at the time that the pool was filling up with water. So they didn't have to go buy the Costco and Sam stuff last minute, but they could actually have some quality outdoor furniture and it would be additive to the design. What I also learned, quickly re- realized was I could design it in from the start. So I could make the patio the right size to accommodate it, uh, make sure we pick the right colors so that it all worked together. And I found that that was pretty intimidating for a lot of homeowners to have to select cushion colors and pillow colors and all that stuff. So we really would focus on being that complete solution uh, for the homeowners. And it happened on one of my jobs. I had a big old, big tanning ledge area in the pool. And, uh, we took, uh, took one of the patio items that we bought from, I believe it was restoration. I would put it in the pool and the homeowner kind of challenged me on it and just said, Hey, look, that, I don't think that's made to go in the water. Is it going to damage the furniture? Is it going to damage, damage the finish of the pool? And at the same time, I had seen something kind of similar to, to the thought process of putting furniture in the water uh, while I was out in a trip in Las Vegas. And, I said, man, we really need to to develop something that's made for the pool industry, made for the for the pool, durable to to the chemicals and the environment, where a homeowner could actually lay in the water uh, and not be above the water per se. Um, and so, literally, I mean, it was kind of that moment. It was a need that a customer had, um, in that the focus at the time was truly not to start a big business. It was really just to to create a product that I could sell to my customers because I knew my customers wanted it. Wow. And so, so you took all that background and experience and started designing, uh, better pools, more, more, you know, um, experience friendly pools, and then had this ledge with this, you know, which we didn't have those when I was growing up. I know that, but you know, we had, you have this ledge and then the, the concept came from putting furniture in the pool to what you have now is called ledge lounger and then some. So what is a ledge lounger? So a ledge lounger in the beginning, it was uh, a core product, and, and I'll certainly give a bit of advice here to, to anybody. Don't name your business after your product uh, because it certainly has caught up to us. We're, we're, we've been looking at, at shifting the brand to a, um, a more, um, I guess, not specific to a product name, 
Um, okay. So, but it, it's worked out well for us. Um, but a ledge lounger is literally, it's, it's a, a chaise that you can lay in the pool uh, and you can splash yourself. You can, you can lay with your hands in the water, your bottom in the water, your feet in the water, uh, and chill out on that tanning ledge, relax. We call it sunbathing style or in water in style, something that you can relax in the pool. Uh, and, and truly kind of get that resort feel, get that destination. I'm in a resort in my own backyard. Nice. And that's been your number one seller uh, since you started the business, but you also have a lot of other products since then, right? I mean, and this is in-pool furniture that that is safe for the pool that can stay in the pool, right? Absolutely. So, you know, I think um, any successful business is a diversified business, uh, mm-hmm. without a doubt. And I think we, we fortunately started realizing up front is, we don't want to be a one-hit wonder. We want to ensure that we're building a brand, not just a product. Um, mm. And we saw, you know, obviously the, the sales of our ledge lounger, uh, our, our, we call it the signature, signature chaise now. The signature chaise had just blown up and it was gaining a ton of popularity and we were getting orders for it, uh, a lot of it every day. And, of course, the, the obvious first answer is accessorize. You know, it's, it's make a headrest pillow, make a shade, make a side table. Those are the easy things because it's just so obvious. The harder thing is, is now how do I increase my average order value once I've accessorized it and now customers come into my website and spend and say an average order of $1,200. How do I get them up to $1,600? How do I get them to $1,800? What are the additional items that they're going to need? And, and number one, we, we, we very, very much focus on our audience. We, we pay attention to our product after it's in the marketplace and we see what else our customers are buying. And that's one of our kind of product development strategies. And then that's more on the, on the residential side. I think on the commercial side, while, we, while a lot of our product was showing up in commercial environments, we were getting requests for proposals for, say, a $150,000 job where we were only the five or six or $7,000 worth of product on that $150,000 job. So we would look at the request for proposals and we'd see all the other items on it. And then we quickly started diversifying our product line into other items that were on those lists so that we could try and capitalize on a larger portion of the projects as opposed to just the in-water furniture. Interesting. So what are the, all the products that you offer now? I know you, 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 you mentioned several, but you have in-pool and out, out of the pool, but you also have games and other things. Give us an overview or give the audience sure, an overview. Absolutely. So we pretty much have um, a full line of in-water. So you're going to see everything from chaises to chairs to side tables. Um, we have uh, in-water bar stools now. I've got some cool new things coming out. I can't uh, elaborate on too much coming out next year that kind of tie into the whole bar concept. Uh, we've actually just <laughs> released a extremely popular, it's it's just amazing how, how crazy this is. We're, we introduced a, a, a float called a Lay's float. It's a quality, you know, multi-season type of float that you're going to be able to have. And uh, it's washable, so you can throw it in the washing machine and, and, you know, get any kind of mold or mildew out of it if you leave it outside all the time. Uh, Lay's float. So, we, we brought this Lay's float to market this year and literally can't even keep them on the website. As soon as we release a batch, they sell out within a few hours, which has just been so cool. In fact, I think you bought one, Christine, as well. I, I have we, two. We, we first brought them out. <laughs> and my dog uh, loves it too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dogs love floating on them. Dogs love laying on them. People love floating on them. Very comfortable. Uh, very cool, cool product. So that's kind of our, our in-water line. And the neat thing about our in-water line is, you know, we used to kind of be stuck to that ledge, and now we've really expanded out into the pool. Um, market sizes has really opened up for us because now you don't just have to have a pool with a tanning ledge. If you have a pool, you're good. And then, of course, with our patio stuff, 
you know, what we realized was outdoor patio furniture, honestly, for the most part is crap. Uh, there's not a lot of quality stuff out there. Then mm-hmm. we had already had a pretty significant revenue stream off of our in-pull furniture. And we said, you know, we'd really like to make some, some patio furniture, but we didn't need it to, to support the business. So it wasn't about creating something that was going to be, um, you know, good for a mass market. It was about creating a really quality product. And if customers wanted to buy it, great. And if they didn't, then that was okay too. It was it was okay for us. So we really focused on what kind of material we could use that would be really, really durable in not only a residential environment, but also commercial environment. Um, and we and we really also focused on developing some cushions that were really unmatched in the marketplace. You know, a lot of companies try and develop cushions to be extremely affordable, but yet that's the biggest pain point of any patio furniture is what I find is people are always complaining about how the cushions stay wet after a rainstorm or mm-hmm. how they have to replace their cushions every season. What we did was we used top line uh, fabrics, marine grade umbrella fabric. We use an easy dry foam on the inside. We use a mesh on the bottom. A lot of people would say, a lot of the furniture manufacturers would say, you don't want to use a mesh on the bottom because if the top gets dirty, you want the customer to be able to turn it over and use the other side. We said, well, why don't we just use a fabric that's easy to clean and it's not going to get dirty and let's put a mesh on the bottom so that the cushion can actually breathe. Uh, so you can actually wash, you can clean our cushions with with, uh, with a pressure washer. They're that durable and that strong and it's very, really easy to do. In fact, in my backyard, I have white cushions on my outdoor sectional um, and uh, that's just a true testament to, yes, do they get dirty every now and again? Sure, but they're really easy to clean and get right back to brand new. Interesting, interesting. Well, I know, I know from your videos um, as well as your website and your catalogs, etc., that your uh, furniture is not only a great quality, but it looks beautiful too. I mean, it really dresses up any backyard. Can you comment to that? And, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but can you comment to where some of your, your some of your um, products are, um, just to give people an idea of you know the caliber and the quality that you're dealing with? Oh, for sure. Um, so we're in a, a lot of, when you say where they are, I assume geographical or, or yeah. kind of hotels and different mm-hmm. places around. So we're we're on the rooftop patios in Austin. Uh, you, you can find us in a lot of major uh, hotels and resorts, uh, Hyatt, um, just, I mean, just <laughs> Hyatt, Hilton, uh, a lot of the big brands, W, uh, you can find it even in Dubai. I mean, we've got a lot of product over overseas in Dubai, Australia, where the UV uh, there's a lot of concerns with UV and just um, the damage that the environment causes on the furniture. Very, very durable from that perspective. And I also wanted to mention you, you know, throwing out there too that you mentioned games. Games is a, a big part of our brand. We have some oh, yeah. Tell us, yeah, boards, tell us more about that. Uh, washer boards. W- what we realized was, you know, you can go buy a ping pong table academy or off the internet and typically have to leave it outside. Well, in Houston, there's a lot of humidity. And humidity really gets to any kind of outdoor games, especially when they're made out of wood or fiberboard or any of those types of materials. What we realized was this, the material we were building the furniture out of, it's called HDPE. So it's a very, very strong resin. It doesn't splinter. It doesn't crack. It's going to last forever, literally. But it also holds up tremendously to humidity and moisture and that sort of thing. It doesn't impact it at all because it is a resin. So, um, we we developed a, a ping pong table out of it. You literally, it's a ping pong table you can put around your pool, you can put in your backyard. You don't have to put it underneath a cover. Um, you can sit around it, you can eat at it, um, you can use it as a dining table, of course, if you choose to. But it's it's very low maintenance. And once again, if it does get dirty or or if it's underneath a oak tree with a lot of pollen, literally take the pressure washer to it. You're not going to hurt it. 
um, and it's going to last. So we did the same thing with the cornhole boards that we have now. We did the same thing. We have some washer boards. We have some fun uh, oversized dominoes that work outside. So just a, a, a wide vast of products, and we're adding a whole lot more. Uh, and, you know, a lot of our product development comes from our customers. They're saying, hey, I really wish I had this. We love your quality. We wish we had this. We wish we had that. And, and we've got a product development team in-house, so we can whip those things up and, and get them added to our catalog if they make sense. So we even just introduced a, a credenza, an uh, outdoor credenza that has a built-in uh, a spot for a TV to, to hang on it, um, on the back, uh, backsplash, if you will. And then it holds a refrigerator and towels, and you can charge your phone on it, and just all kinds of great things. Wow. And so, Chris, to, to clarify, too, so you have products that serve everything from the commercial market to the residential market, right? We do. And, and you also have um, products that serve everyone from infants to, you know, small children to adults. Is that correct, too, as well? Because you have slides and things like that as well for children, but also the, the products that adults love. Can you comment on that? We do. We uh, we introduced a slide last year. Uh, it's a toddler slide. <laughs> I would... I'd swim in my pool with my kids and they literally wanted to be on my back the whole time. <laughs> they wanted to, to uh, climb on my back and be thrown. And, and I thought, man, I need to create a product that will give me 30 minutes of a break when I'm in the pool um, <laughs> just so, so I can enjoy the pool at the same time as they are. And so we actually developed a, um, what we found was a lot of kids would slide down our chairs, uh, our, our in-water shades. So we, we quickly realized that, Hey, there's, <laughs> there's a market for a slide just don't think of slide as in like on the edge of the pool slide. Think of slide as like on the tanning ledge, on the edge of the tanning ledge or on the tanning ledge, you know, probably two to five-year-old kid, you know, under 70 pounds. It's only, a you know, maybe three foot of drop over the whole slide and just something they climb up and slide down and, and really have a fun time with. And it, it's really neat because you can put it next to some of our other products and then you know, mom can lay there and while the kid's slide and entertaining themselves. So it's, it's been a pretty cool product. And then, you know, on the other side of it, we have day beds, you know, we have more adult type, the bar stools, the day beds, the, the shade, you know, lounge chairs with the shades over them. So we really span a pretty big market size, not only in the, you know, product types, but also, like you said, in the consumer and the demographics of the consumer. Right. So I've had the privilege of watching you grow and remind us how long you've been in business and how many products you have now. Sure. Um, so we have been in business since 2010. 2010 was really the conceptual year. Uh, 2011 was when we actually started selling our first products. Um, so about 10 years. Um, and in 2010 through 14, I'd say we probably got up to maybe around six to eight products. Uh, in 2015 to 17, in the later, probably more so 2017, we introduced about 80 patio furniture items. Wow. Um, and then we continued to expand. If you think about patio furniture, you can't just introduce a product. You have to introduce collections. Right. You know, you don't, they don't just want a chaise. They want a chaise that has a dining table and dining chairs and, you know, sectional or sofa or couches. So, and it's really easy to, to increase your skew count quite a bit when you do that. But you obviously have to stay hyper-focused at the same time. Um and then, you know, really in the recent years, um, some more, you know, the bar stools, the slide, the, the lays float, kind of really maximizing on our lifestyle branding, uh, finding products that uh, are, are fun. Uh, what we love about the float is it's, it's something that year over year people might want to change out because the patterns uh, go out of trend, come back in trend. So, you know, it's, it's good to keep a, 
keep it fresh with the homeowners and have something that they can come back to and purchase on a year-to-year basis. So they're they're in front of our brand and at the same time, kind of have some some relatively consumable products. Because um, if if all we sell is just stuff that's going to last forever in their backyard, not to say that it won't, won't last a while, but we need to have some trendy stuff too, so that we have a customer coming back and buying from us. Right. Well, I know I'm a proud customer of yours for sure, but I also know I can echo what you just said too about your customers. You do listen to your customers and, and your ideas and concepts continue to come from what your customers are asking for, which is great. But if I think about what my interior designer always tells me is as I'm very much matchy, matchy, matchy is what she says. And uh, it's one thing I love about your collections, as you said, because your collections are so beautiful and it has every, you have everything you need from chairs to the lounges to, to, to the um, tables, et cetera. And everything's very complimentary and, and just beautiful style and, and beautiful taste. Do people go to ledgelounger.com to buy your stuff if, if, if they're a residential customer? Absolutely. Uh, we have all of our stuff online. It should be relatively simple to to navigate and shop our website. And um, we, uh, we we're excited for people to see it. And we'd love we'd love any feedback. We have a uh, you know a, a, a form you can submit with any ideas of new products or or just your thoughts on our products. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, I love that about you because you're always asking your customers too what you can you do you know better and what can you do more of. So, oh, to, to, for our audience that's listening too, I want to be clear too that um, so you were working with your dad's business, but this is a this is a business you went and started, and so this is a standalone business, and you're not building pools anymore. You're really specializing in in pool and out of pool furniture now and, and accessories, right? Correct. So back in two thousand back. Back really in 2007, joined him, joined his company, kind of developed this in 2010, really worked with him through 2014. Um, the beautiful thing of, of starting this business was that I didn't need the, the revenue to put food on the table. Um, so I was able to put money back into the business. I think a lot of times when people think, oh, I, got, I want to go start a new business, they think, well, I need to quit my job and go start something. But I think there's a value in starting something and maintaining what it is you're currently doing um, until you kind of feel like you have, until you can jump, right? And for me, they were so, um, they fed each other, right? Every every mm-hmm. new pool I designed, every every project I sold for my father's company was also a job that I was selling my products on uh, through Ledge Launder. And the more I got into the pool industry, the more I met other pool builders and other other influencers in the industry that could help propel the, the ledge launder brand. So it was very complimentary. Mm-hmm. And I think holding on to the pool industry as long as I could was very beneficial. But there was a point where it was just too much. Um, it was, you know, the, the business was moving so fast and uh, I was finding myself um, slowing the growth of the business down because I was trying to go sell the next pool when really you know, in any contractor type business, the value, there's, you're just not going to really build a big value in a business because it's contract to contract. Mm-hmm. With Ledge, it was building a brand and building a, a product line that, that could, you know, pretty much live on beyond me and it didn't need me to be successful. And so, you know, I said, Hey, I really need to focus my long-term success and focus my, focus my time on Ledge as opposed to the pool company. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And I've had the um, privilege of knowing you, I believe, for more than five years now and watched you grow and talk about success and growth. It's just been, uh, it just gives me goosebumps when I think about it to, to watch how fast you've grown and how how much you guys have done since the inception of the business. Tell us some of those challenges, the biggest challenges you've had in growing a business, because obviously it was it was you, you know, literally, you know, one and only and, uh, and where you're at today. But tell us some of those challenges and, and where you're at now. 
Yeah, I mean, a couple of things based on what you really kind of just touched on. Number one is when we met, right? Uh, one of the biggest challenges I had was not knowing what I didn't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't get an MBA. I didn't go to business school. You know, a lot of this stuff was just, you know, learning. You know, you, you don't realize when you're younger all the skills you're learning and, and how you can apply them. You know, walking up to a customer's door to wash their car, knocking on their door, not, you know, and asking them for $2 to wash their car when you're, when you're a teenager, or younger than a teenager, when we were 10 years old, 11 years old, you, know, you gain skill sets in trying to convince somebody to give you $2 to wash their car. I mean, who wants two kids and they're, you know, and they're outside their house washing their car? You know, you'd much rather bring it to a professional car wash place. So, you know, I had the kind of the street smarts in business because mm-hmm. I, I did it growing up, but I didn't have the, the true business education. I knew about marketing. I knew how to sell things. Uh, but I, I didn't, I didn't know how to read a P and L. I didn't know, you know, business acumen. I didn't, you know, in, you know, Christine, I, when, when I joined Vistage, um, there was some of the most challenging times because I didn't even know how to move the business forward. And Vistage certainly has helped me uh, with all those things. It's, I, I feel like every year I'm in this business and in Vistage, I get another MBA because I'm learning mm. so much so quickly, kind of drinking from a fire hose, but it, I learned very much so that put yourself in a room with people smarter than you are um, and surround yourself with people that have tons of experience. And I also learned don't be afraid to ask questions because Mm -hmm. people that have done it are really excited to share their success and they share their success through uh, sharing their experience. Um, And so people are very open. A lot of successful business people will never turn down an opportunity to help somebody else because in a way they're also getting to relive their success when they're helping somebody else. And uh, mm-hmm. so I think, you know, certainly a big challenge was gaining experience and, and obviously I just kind of touched on how I did it and how we were able to, to grow so quickly. Additionally is finding good people. I mean, well, I was very fortunate that my business partner now, one of the guys that I used to pull the wagon around the neighborhood with growing up, uh, I was able to, recruit him out of a aerospace engineering degree uh, to come over and, and join the team and um, put him in, put him in charge of operations. He's operationally minded engineer and, um, you know, got out of his way and just said, Hey, look, you know, you, you're going to own this and you're going to, you know, your success and my success are dependent on each other and got out of his way and let him learn and gain the skill sets to, to grow the business and drive the business from an operational perspective while I focused on my talents, which was the sales and marketing side. Um, so that was certainly a challenge in the beginning was trying to identify who I can bring on. Fortunately, I got lucky and, and found somebody that I, I could trust. I knew I could trust um, with a personal relationship and, and just really enjoy working together. So that was a, a big challenge at first, but turned out to be probably one of our biggest successes. Yeah, I, I agree since I know who you're talking to and uh, you guys have both done a great job together in building a great company. So tell, tell us, um, share with us some of your, you know, proudest achievements or, you know, biggest opportunities you've had um, in the last decade in building this business. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I think number one is um, maintaining growth. Um, we, uh, nothing's good enough, uh, which is a blessing and a curse. Uh, mm-hmm. The blessing is, is, you know, you, you keep going, you're, you're always driving, you always want more, you know, you know, 40% growth, one enough, 80% growth, one enough, hundred percent growth, one enough. Um, 
there's a blessing in that, that you know you, you continue to create opportunity to to drive the business and, and the business continues to grow uh, you know the, the curses as your team grows around you um, they're not all motivated and driven the same way you are necessarily so sometimes you got to slow down and celebrate um, so uh, I'm, I've learned a lot a lot lately how to how to kind of slow down and celebrate with the team um, but I think that I'm most proud of uh, being able to find the balance, I think, you know, Christine, one thing we talk about on a regular basis is just, you know, not being able afraid, afraid to say, what can I do better, Christine? You know, you're, you're outside looking in and, and always asking you, you know, not, not thinking, Hey, I'm the best at my job, but thinking I have so much to learn from everybody else around me. And, you know, I've asked you plenty of times, like, what can I do better? What can I be better at? Not because I think that, you know, we, I need to go find a whole lot of ways to get better, but because I, I want to always be open to a different way of doing things. And I want to always see other people's perspectives. Um, you know, my wife, I'm, I'm the devil's advocate, right? I'm always the one who tries to see things from others' perspectives. And so many times I just need to shut up and be on her side with things, but I always like to open up the other perspectives. So I think that's kind of an area that we've been successful is just kind of always keeping our ear to the ground and not just assuming that we have it licked um, and paying attention to whether it's competition or whether it's opportunities and jumping on them and just, you know, aggressively going after things and not, not being afraid of failure. Uh, I think too many times people get stuck in the, um, you know, for example, building the pyramid, right? If you, if anybody that was laying the first block ever knew what the pyramid was going to be and how long it would take to build, then they would never want to build it. But if mm-hmm. they just focused on one block at a time, then the pyramids get built, right? So if the if the guy with the vision was responsible for placing the blocks, the pyramid would have never been built. Um, but he wasn't. It was the guy that was just placing a block every day. And, and that's kind of one of the ways I look at business. When you have an idea... Don't get overwhelmed with the vision. Don't get overwhelmed with the final result. Really, really focus on step one, step two, which is, you know, clearly it's, it's, uh, many people have said that before. I'm certainly not the first person to say it, but I think it's, it's one thing to hear it. And then it's one thing to act upon it and really, you know, focus on one step at a time. And, and that's really what's, what's made ledge. You know, we, you know, we, we found a, a really creative niche with our first product. Um, but, our growth has not been on the back of that first product. Our growth has been on the back of being innovative, creative, listening to our customers and not being afraid to try the next product and fail. I mean, we've failed on multiple products, but we're not afraid to try again and try again and try again. You want to be calculated and you want to be methodical, but at the same time, you don't want to, you know, let the concern with failure hold you back from trying new things. Yeah, I agree. And, and just what I've known of you over the years uh, and your partner as well, it's uh, that's what makes you unique. Not only is your business and your, your model and your products very unique, there's nothing else out there like it. Um, but you guys are also very unique in the fact that you're always looking at how can you be better and what, what are you willing to try? And um, so I, I, I believe that's what makes you guys unique and successful at the same time. Thanks for sharing that. I want to ask another question related to, you know, what do you wish you had known when you started out? Wow, so much, <laughs> <laughs> so much. Um, I wish I would have known how to be more patient. Um, and, and I say all that certainly be driving, but 
I wish I would have known that, you know, I wish I would have known more about the, the opportunity. We never really sat down to, to know what the market size was. Uh, mm. So year after year, we were constantly concerned with, oh, are we going to be able to grow that fast again? Are we going to be able to double again? Are we going to be able to, you know, we never, we, we always reinvested in the business, but we never gave ourselves enough credit. We never, we, we, I was always questioning whether we were going to grow a hundred percent again and a hundred percent again and a hundred percent again. So, while we always kind of threw ourselves in it, we we didn't necessarily um, put the things in place to to um, to really water that growth or fuel that growth mm-hmm. um, because we really didn't stop and kind of be a little bit more analytical into okay what is the market size um, mm. and really where can this thing go. And a little bit of the game is because, you know, we didn't have that education. I didn't certainly didn't have that education experience of how to assess a marketplace and how to understand how big a marketplace could be and, you know, really build a strong business plan. I think too many times early on in business, you know, people think marketing plans are literally just, well, it's a piece of paper that I can have to show somebody and that if I need to go raise some money. No, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that because it makes you think about the business in a different way. It makes you study uh, in depth the different opportunities in the business and the market size and things to help prepare you. It's 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 almost like a set of construction draw, drawings when you're about to build a building. Uh, but I think so many times people are like, well, I don't need a business plan. I don't need to go raise money. Well, no, you need, you need to make a business plan because you need to understand what your business could do so that you can give it the proper fuel that it needs to succeed. Um, mm-hmm. So, I certainly wish I kind of knew a little bit more about that earlier on. I feel like even though we've we've accomplished some amazing things, we probably could have accomplished a little bit more. Um, and then I also probably would I would say that I wish I would have known that growing a business is a never-ending road. Um, you know, when we're when we're younger and when, in the early days of building something, you kind of have these goals, and when you're kind of blowing those colds out of the water, you kind of, it's kind of like, well, I, I succeeded at that. And then what, and then what, and then what, and what, which, what I would, what I quickly realized is in this business, growing a business is never ending. There's no, there's no point where you've gotten to the the finish line. Where you have, where you've arrived, where you've arrived. There's, there's no arrival because you just have to beat yourself year over year over year which is a substantial amount of pressure, right? Especially, mm-hmm. it's, you know, we hear about like athletes at the pinnacle of their career and then all of a sudden they can't play the game anymore and it's like they don't know what to do with themselves because they had that just ongoing pressure every year, every year, every year, and they got better and they got better and then all of a sudden it's they, somebody takes away from Like In business, of course, you can retire it one day, but the business is still there. Somebody somebody said it this way a long time ago and I, I it resonated with me. It's, you know, it's like climbing a mountain, you get to the summit, and then you turn around, you, you turn around, you look at this beautiful view and you're just like, man, we're here. We did it. But then you turn around and out of the corner of your eye, you see the next peak at the top of the mountain. You thought you were at the top of the mountain. But you <laughs> I love that. Quickly that you weren't. <laughs> and you're so exhausted because that climb just took all your energy out. And then you turn and it's like, well, man, there's another peak. Well, sure enough, you climb that peak and you're exhausted and you turn around and there's another peak. That's business. Like that is business summed up in a, in a quick story. And 
you have to be along for the ride and you have to truly enjoy it every day. And you have to find, to, to put yourself, hire people around you and surround yourself with people that do the things that you don't like to do um, so that you can enjoy it and find pleasure in it and focus on what you're good at and surround yourself with a great team. So every client is enjoyable and it's not just enjoyable when you get to the peak. I love that. My husband and I were just talking yesterday about a mountain we climbed in Colorado that we talk about all the time. We had to do it twice, by the way. The first time we couldn't make it to the summit. But long story short, it, it's, a, it's a mountain that uh, had six or seven or eight, I don't know how many fall summits. And and, mm-hmm. and you're, you get to the top and you're like, you know, to, to, to the part where you see the top, and you're like, okay, we're exhausted. We're exhausted, but we can do it. There's the top. And you give it all you got to get to the top of it. And you get up there only to find out that's not the top. <laughs> There's Paul another Peak. one. And you do Absolutely. it again and you do it again. That's a great analogy. I have to agree with you 100%. <laughs> that's a great story. Yeah, I, I think, I think looking on it now, right? Like, what did I, what have I learned? What would I tell myself if I could go back is just like, enjoy that process, you know, like, yes, focus on the, on the result and, and go, you know, kick butt and go and go and go, but, you know, be a little bit more, um, have a little bit more respect for the fact that, that there is no, there is no, you're not going to arrive, you know, it, it's going to continue to get harder um, and enjoy it. Enjoy it. Don't go. So my last question, you take me up for, perfectly uh, alludes to, um, and you're a perfect entrepreneur in, in everything you described. What is the most rewarding part of running your business? Wow. Um, man, there's so many things I think. Um, I, I'd say there's two. I, I, I call out two. Um, one is just soaking up information, um, just learning Right, like I, I don't know if I could see myself going back to a corporate world where I, I'm responsible for one job, mm-hmm. um, because I, I feel like you're gonna. There's a point where you just kind of max out. You've learned everything you can learn, and you're providing all the information you can provide. Uh, now, obviously, in a, in a career, the next step would be to take on the, ne- the next role, but but the most rewarding part of being an entrepreneur and, and potentially a CEO and running a business or executive in a business is just, you can never learn enough. Um, everything's mm. always changing and there's always information to be gained if you seek it out. And and I think that's extremely rewarding just to always be continuously improving. What I would also say is, is building a team where the culture is is so engaged and so excited to be here um, and just so proud uh, that is it's extremely emotional i mean it uh, we just had our grand opening of our our new facility and just to see the excitement in our team uh, it kind of got emotional um, and just it, we're you know just watching the team be successful you know and the business is so much bigger than me. It, it has been for a very, very long time. There's so many people that we rely on every day to be, to be great at what they do for us to succeed. And um, just seeing their excitement when we crush these goals is probably one of the most rewarding parts of the business. 
Uh, gives me another goosebump goosebump moment for me. Yeah, I uh, I echo everything you just said because I know your team is so proud of what they do and so bought in. And uh, you guys are creating experiences across the world that people can truly enjoy um, family and friend time together and uh, in the you know the things we work so hard for. So thanks for all you do for for people like us that uh, get to enjoy and, and have the benefit of, of uh, your products and uh, and those experiences. Chris, I want to wrap up and say again, thank you um, very, very much. Uh, founder and CEO of Les Challenger, appreciate you sharing us your story. It's a phenomenal success in what you've accomplished and really honored that you're on the show today. Thank you, Christine. Thank you very much for your time. All right. See you soon. Bye-bye. And there we have it. Another great episode on the Christine Spray Show. Don't forget to check out the show notes at christinespray.com. And you can find out more about how we can be a resource to you at strategiccatalystinc.com. All the best in your continued success until the next time we talk.